I was formulating in the lab. I had ingredients that we typically would use, or I would meet with vendors that were selling new ingredients. And I had to go to the store. The only place I could talk to the consumer or see competitive products was going out to the store myself and seeing what was on the shelves, talking to consumers at the counter. And that's how I learned about what consumers liked, disliked, and what I could do. So what was unique to me was that I did not want to live in the lab. I wanted to be out talking to consumers, getting information, finding out what they liked and disliked, and then going back to the lab with a purpose to create something that would solve their needs. So that was what, that was the unique thing about me as a chemist, which kind of led to where I am now. Welcome to the Glam and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Takara Suet, head of partnerships at Wavebreak. On this show, we talk with leaders of beauty, fashion, and lifestyle brands. We dive into their stories, lessons learned, and perspectives on how the industry is ever evolving. Subscribe and join us each week as we glam and grow. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call. Joining me today on Glam and Grow is Ron Robinson, CEO and founder of Beauty Stat. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Tatara. Excited to be here and talk to you. I am super excited to talk to you. You are one of the world's leading cosmetic chemists. So I'd love to hear a bit about your background and prior career and what ultimately inspired you to pursue the beauty industry. Yeah, I'm an accidental cosmetic chemist. <laughs> so I fell into the industry. So basically, I grew up in a time when my parents respected only two professions. You were either a doctor or a lawyer. So, <laughs> and, and I have a core family of, of, of you know three older brothers, two older, one younger. And we all were more science inclined. So, okay, you guys are going to med school. You have no choice. So two of my brothers ended up becoming doctors. They went to the whole thing. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but took a shot. Hey, I'll, I'll try med school. I don't know what else I want to do. Went to med school for a year wow. ago. Dropped out, hated it, was not for me. Totally broke my mother's heart. Moved back in with the parents. They wow. Were like, they were like, you're a bum. What are you doing with your life? Type <laughs> and so I had the science degree, you know, biology and chemistry. And I started to send out a bunch of resumes. And Estee Lauder's clinic division called me in for an interview. So I had no idea there was this world of, you know, you could be a chemist and develop products for, for a beauty company. That was blew my mind. So I went in for the interview. They hired me out on the spot, and it was love at first sight. I got to there use my science background, but yet I, I got to create and develop and actually take things from you know chemicals and ingredients into a finished product that you'd see on the shelf. So that's how I fell into the industry. So keep in mind, I have a very disappointed mom at home now who, you know- I assume she's gotten over it. <laughs> this is what happened. So, so I'm at clinic for about a year now and I'm, you know, I bring home a bunch of the products that I'm formulating for the, for my, as a gift for my mom. So I had this little bag. I'm like, hey mom, I brought you some products I've been working on. She was in awe. She was so happy, so thrilled. She was like, give me that bag. And she was diving in and taking, trying stuff. And 
at the, that moment, it seemed like she totally forgave me for breaking her heart and dropping me at med school. She was like, go develop your thing. Bring home more products for me. You know? <laughs> Knock yourself out. So that's that's kind of how I fell into the industry and how I ended up you know, making my mom you know, proud of me. She's since passed, but that was kind Sorry of how that. that's kind of how I fell into the industry and got my start. That must have been such a difficult time in your life, I would imagine, sort of feeling lost. I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling and also the feeling of, you know, pressure that parents give us to sort of live up to their expectations and then going off on your own on a, you know, totally different tangent that look where you are now. So sometimes I think really following your intuition and yourself is is really important. So I love I love that story. Very much so. Very much so. So yeah, so talk to me about, so you joined Clinique, which I imagine, did you even know anything about the brand or what was it like, you know, back then? And and what were you expecting the job to sort of grow into? Did you have a plan or were you sort of like, I'm just thrilled I have a job? I, I first of all, I've, I've, of course, I've heard of Clinique and Estee Lauder, but I was not, I was not a beauty consumer. You know, I was 24 at the time, you know, uh, when I, when I got that, that job, I was not a user of, of, of beauty products and grooming products. So but what I found is that I love the fact that there's this whole science aspect of it. I get to, again, use my science background, my knowledge of science, and help also create products. And, and kind of, there was kind of like this science meet, meets art. It's almost like cooking in a sense. When I'm formulating products, I'm taking, I'm really taking the best ingredients from here or there, and I'm putting them together to make this souffle, a lotion, a cream an eyeshadow, a lipstick, and I'm actually cooking in, in, in a sense. It's the right combination of ingredients in the right way can make something really delightful and delicious. And that's what I was doing as a cosmetic chemist for Clinique. I, I love that. And, and no, no disrespect to any other chemist work, but it sounds like you really brought, you could sort of maybe disrupted the industry, especially back then. So what what was your approach in, in terms of product innovation that perhaps you were doing differently than some of your counterparts. Yeah, I think what what was unique about me is that I always look to the consumer. So, Takara, it's important to understand when I started in the industry. I started, I'm, I'm a little bit older. <laughs> but look amazing and have amazing skin. <laughs> so when I, when I started the industry, this is before the internet. This is before mobile phones. So again, this is 19, 1990. So I'm at my, in, in the lab. So I can go online and see, oh, what's going on in Korea or what's going on across it? What's, what's the LA consumer doing? There's no research online. I had to, I was formulating in the lab. I had ingredients that we typically would use or we would meet with vendors that were selling new ingredients. And I had to go to the store. The only place I could talk to the consumer or see competitive products was going out to the store myself and seeing what was on the shelves, talking to consumers at the counter. And that's how I learned about what consumers liked, disliked, and what I could do. So what what was unique to me was that I did not want to live in the lab. I wanted to be out talking to consumers, getting information, finding out what they liked and disliked, and then going back to the lab with a purpose to create something that would solve their needs. So that was what that was the unique thing about me as a chemist, which kind of led to where I am now. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm sure now your life, I would imagine, is a lot easier or maybe a little bit harder now that we have access to so much information. Perhaps maybe sometimes it's it's too much. But um, I mean, you've had quite the career, like decade 
multiple decade career um, at L'Oreal, Revlon, Avon. I mean, so many different companies. So to condense that really extensive career, talk to me about some career highlights and what your career trajectory was. And was it always to, was your vision always to end up starting your own brand? It was not my vision at, at all. I had no idea I would ever do this and quite, quite the opposite. So my career direct tra- trajectory was. I know I meant tra- 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 <laughs> trajectory. There you go. Trajectory. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so about a decade at the Estee Lauder company. So working at Clinique and La Mer and a couple of other divisions. Oh, I'd love to hear about that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I worked for Lemaire when they were when, when Estee Lauder acquired them. So that was it. That was a new brand, you know. Very thousand, interesting. Thousand dollar cream. Is it worth the hype? It's Lemaire is a great great product. I got to work on some of their first line extensions. It, you know, when Estee Lauder acquired Lemaire, all there was was one skin, just a cream. And then I worked on some of the, some of the first cleansers and toners and, and, and products that were, were flankers to the cream. So. So it was a very exciting time working on on, on that with a brand that, that has since become an I- iconic luxury brand. So then then after I left the SEO company, so I worked at Revlon, Avon, L'Oreal. So about 25 years total working for big brands. Avon was the last company I worked for. So let me tell you what was going on there at the time. This is late, mid to late 2000s. Okay, so at that time, we have... Not okay. Yes, the internet, <laughs> you know, launched yeah, and people were were, shot, were online. But what was new then was social media sites. So Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, they launched in the thousands and became everyone was going online and, and joining groups and, and reconnecting with with others. So I thought, well, listen, you have communities cropping up. What about a beauty community? What if beauty? What if I was to launch this new? Community called Beauty Stat, which oh wow, okay, so I didn't realize that. So we started as a blog first in this community before becoming a skincare brand. So this, I launched Beauty Stat after leaving Avon. I felt like the market was crowded; there were too many products out there, and I think there needed to be an expert cosmetic chemist like myself that could create this blog, review products, and help consumers navigate the crowded, you know, shelf, if you will. So that was the purpose and the goal of Beauty Stat. Keep in mind, I thought the, the the market was crowded. I didn't think we needed any more products. I was there to kind of help consumers navigate the existing clutter out there. So watch this blog was reviewing thousands of products. And during that time, this is about over 10 years since I launched this, this blog, consumers are writing it. Hey, Ron, what's the deal with vitamin C? Why is it unstable? I was also this go-to cosmetic chemist by beauty editors. They would all they would also tap into me and say, Ron, I'm doing a story on vitamin C. Why is it unstable? Why does it oxidize? So what that means for, for listeners out there, vitamin C very it's a very important ingredient for our skin, does a lot of has a lot of great benefits, notoriously unstable. That means it oxidizes, it turns brown, it turns orange, starts starts to smell like hot dog water. That's you. Oh that's- wow. Yeah, I did not realize you, that. Yeah, that's when you know it does not work. It's no longer effective at that point. So very here, interesting. Yeah. So you have a lot of consumers writing in and asking me how do how do they navigate and shop vitamin C given that's an issue that's happening. So that got me thinking, what if I could stabilize pure vitamin C? And when you say stabilize, does that mean give it a longer shelf life, or what does that mean exactly? That's exactly okay. What, that's that's exactly what it means. So that may, making sure that it could deliver a product every time 
that would be potent and stable and not oxidized, not smell like hot dog water. So that was the goal that I had in mind. And I, and I continued to run my blog, but in the part of my part time, my spare time, I was working on trying to stabilize pure vitamin C. So I was working with a few of my cosmetic chemist friends on doing so. So we, we worked on this encapsulation process. We did literally thousands and thousands of formulas. And we finally found a great formula with great texture and feel and aesthetics that was also rock stable with a five-year shelf life. So I was like, great. We stabilized pure vitamin C. Wow. But, but does the product work? Does it deliver benefits? So we went ahead and, and, and put this product on an independent clinical test, which means that we, we, we ship samples out to a third party and they test it on consumers to show whether or not it worked or not, whether it delivered results. So Takara, a few weeks went by, got the results back, and I was floored. It did everything for consumers, whether they were younger, older, fine lines, wrinkles, evened out skin tone, hyperpigmentation, tightened pores, all of it. It did everything for the skin. I was like, I have to launch this brand. Yeah, absolutely. So keep in, so keep in mind, I'm thinking, you know, the world doesn't need another beauty product. And all, <laughs> and all of a sudden, we solve this big need. The results are amazing. So I, I bring this product to market, our Universal C Skin Refiner, which is our blockbuster best-selling product, and launch the brand, the skincare brand, Beauty Stat, three years ago, 2019. Yeah, that's amazing. So how long, you, you mentioned like a thousand iterations or, or yeah. development um, tests. How long did that whole process take? And did you sort of have a, a core team, like you mentioned, of people that you were working with so you could sort of expedite the process? Yeah, basically, it was a couple, a couple of chemists, and it took us about five years. So again, wow, we're, I'm, we're not. I'm not thinking about that. Hey, we're going to do this and launch a brand. All of it was very milestone oriented. In other words, if we got to this milestone, we would continue on and go to the next. So, so the first step was working on trying to get a formula that felt good and that was stable. So that was the key thing. The next part was, you know, we wanted to own. If, if this was a new technology, you want to own it. So we applied for patents. Then we got the patents issued that we could actually, we actually own this technology. And the last step was this independent clinical test, which was an investment. I had to then say, oh, listen, am I going to pay for this? In other words, that's when things got serious because I'm sure it's, it's one thing to be, you know, kicking around, playing around in the lab. The next thing is, is, hey, am I going to be spending $30,000 on a clinical test? And what if what if it doesn't work? What if there, was, there, there are no results? Then I'm out, I'm I'm out of and, I, and I'm not I'm not rich by any stretch of the imagination, especially back then. So big risk, but big reward. <laughs> all it's all good it, for you. It was all worth the investment and the time. So I'm so happy to hear that. And we're I would imagine at the time you were bootstrapped. You were you know Absolutely. all in on the blog, and you had no investors at the time. No investors. This is bootstrapped. I, wow. Basically, this was this was tapping into my 401k and saying, listen, I've been in the industry a while. I'm gonna take this shot. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this risk. You know, Good for you. Way, I was out fundraising as well. I was trying to get some some, some capital. And again, all I had was an idea. We didn't we didn't launch. I had a concept. I had a concept, but I also had a lot of good data showing that we had a strong concept. And I had I had a team together that was that was strong, you know, you know, over a hundred years total experience. So I thought, we, I thought we had a lot 
going for us and that we could have and should have raised money, but it didn't happen. So I'm like, I'm going to do it myself. That's incredible. You bring such a different, not only perspective, but uh, sort of, uh, what's the word? Just credibility to the brand then, you know, and, and no disrespect to any other brands, but this is a very unique founder story from the fact that you are a chemist. So I imagine the chemical part was the easy part for you, but from a marketing brand, branding standpoint, I would imagine you had no experience with that. How challenging was it to build the brand, not just the product and, and figure out what your brand voice wanted to be and how you were going to communicate your, your extensive background? Yeah, I think that that was definitely our challenge. So I I ended up when we launched doing all of all of the marketing, branding, PR, all, all of that I I did. And this became the spokesperson of the brand. So I did all of that really because it, it goes back to how I started. And you asked me what was my advantage back in the 90s when I started working for Clinique. It was always about the customer. If I had the customer in mind in every aspect, then I knew I could do an okay job trying to market the brand because I always had the customer in mind. I wasn't one of the one of my like one of my lab rat colleagues at the time who really just they were into the science and that's all that mattered. It was science for the sake of science and not okay, but is this relevant? Is this necessary? And I always had the consumer in mind. So that's why I think I was able to kind of work work the brand to a point given I was always consumer focused and thought about what is this really important to the consumer? And that, and then it flowed from there. Meaning, meaning, we were able to get some really good press. We were able, you know, when I went on TV, it talked about the brand. The consumer it really resonated with the consumer, and I think that's what helped us get to a point where, where now we could have new members of the team that are more experienced in their different functions that could help really take us to the next level. Did you develop? all the products in-house or did you try to source at least from like a, a, like I mentioned, like branding bottle perspective, what did that initial process look like? All, all in-house. Wow. We, we always had our own labs. We did everything in-house. And again, that that's it's incredible. That, that comes from my background in the industry to be able to do that. So then did you launch G2C or were you initially just selling to sort of your, your customer base based on the blog? And then what did it look like expanding into, into retailers, which I'm sure is a, a very strong channel for you now? Yeah, yeah D2C was how we started. And, and we didn't really think that we would launch in, in, into retail. Really, we, we, we thought we could, given my, my experience working directly with the consumer, we thought that was the place that we should go and focus on that. So it wasn't until we really grew this this cult following in the consumer space that some retailers, some niche retailers, came to us and said, "Ron, we're here. We're hearing great things about your vitamin C. We've got to bring it in." So we launched it like small pure plays like Violet Gray. We went to QVC, and that's where we got our got our start. And then other big retailers like now our big partner is Ulta Beauty, and we've launched nationwide with them. So. It, that was bit the progression. Initially, D to C, select small retailers in pure place, and then went nationwide with Ulta Beauty. As a brand, marketing, or e-commerce leader, your focus should be on profitable growth in 2023. The best way to do that is by doubling down on your existing customers and your community. During the last few years, Lifecycle and CRM has fallen on the back burner. 
As a result, many brands are missing out on key revenue because their programs are not optimized. At Wavebreak, after years of analyzing data and working across a highly diverse client portfolio, we found that most brands are primarily lacking in their segmentation and creative strategy. By scaling your segmentation, you can send more personalized campaigns and ultimately drive more revenue. And by optimizing your creative, your campaigns not only look better and more on brand, they convert better. As a full-service email and CRM agency, this is our core focus and how we help leading brands scale revenue by up to 318%. If you want to learn more, go to wavebreak.co. The link will be in the show notes below. Now back to this episode. You know, you mentioned you started in the industry in the 90s, and obviously the industry, to to say it's vastly changed is such an understatement from everyone being so focused on clean beauty and the customers getting so much more smarter and and educated. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen and and how do you think having the brand and positioning it in this modern day, how, how do you go about thinking about that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, remember I told you that I thought the I thought the market was crowded and saturated back then. Like this is going back 13 years ago. I don't know what I was thinking. It's it's ridiculous now. It is super saturated. It's like now every it's so much easier to launch a brand right now, and everyone and their aunt and uncle are launching, <laughs> launching as well with celebrities. They're launching, they're launching brands right uh, right now. So it's super super saturated. So your question about so how does that how do we stand out? It goes back to my roots, cosmetic chemist. That turns out to be what's really been resonating with, the, with consumers. Given the crowded market there is out there, consumers want to listen and look to experts. And what has emerged now is the cosmetic chemist is being this new expert, the one that's the closest to the formula because they're the ones formulating it. And the fact that I'm one of the few cosmetic chemist brand founders, that seems to really resonate with consumers. Consumers want to know, they want to learn from me and and understand ingredients. And that halo has helped our brand continue to grow and stand out. I bet. And it's been recognized significantly. It's won Best of Beauty Awards and Allure, among many other awards. Uh, you mentioned your your hero product, your blockbuster product is the Universal C Skin Refiner. But I'm curious if that's still the case to this day and and what some of the biggest skin benefits are from your products and, and really vitamin C. Yeah, vitamin C, again, it's an ingredient that I always loved and felt the need that if we stabilize it, we could have a, a, a breakthrough in the industry. And so far, we're seeing that it's still our best-selling product. As I said, it does everything for the skin. Fine lines, wrinkles, pores, lifts and tightens the skin, does it all. For consumers that are from 25 to 65 plus, all of those ages can benefit from vitamin C in a significant way. So we're thrilled to be able to offer that to so many consumers. And, and I think what, we're, what our goal going forward is to continue to double down on vitamin C it's a it's a necessary ingredient. It's, it's essential. We need it to ingest it. We need to apply it topically. So we're we're going to continue innovation within vitamin C. And then for a couple of years down the pipe, we're looking at other types of innovations as well outside of vitamin C. But I can't say too much about that. Right yeah. Now. No, I I respect that. I'm curious. Actually, I meant to ask this earlier. You mentioned that vitamin C prior smelled like hot dogs, which sounds repulsive. 
But what was the shelf life back then versus your product now? I'm really curious how much you were able to stabilize it for anyone listening who, who's curious. Yeah. So there, there, there are vitamin C products in the market for major brands that their shelf life is around three months. Wow. So in three months time, you could start to see it shift in odor and in color. And I, I obviously don't want to name names. So our product has a three to five year shelf life. It's a rock. It doesn't, there's no color change. There's no hot dogs. It's. <laughs> <laughs> what it's, an analogy. Oh, it's, it's horrible. It's pure and potent. First drop to the last. You don't have to worry. You don't, you don't have to buy a mini fridge and store, you know, have any special storage. Throw it in your bag, throw it in your suitcase, store it in your, your, your bathroom shelf, your shower, any place you want to store it. It's, it's a rock, sta- it's rock stable. So you don't have to worry about that. That's incredible. Um, let's talk about some of the, the challenges with, with building a brand. As the brand has gained traction so significantly in the past couple of years, what were some of your biggest growing pains and, and what were some of the biggest challenges? Yes. Yeah, some, some challenges is obviously we're a direct to consumer brand and a lot of, you know, direct to consumer brands were seeing growth prior to this iOS, Apple iOS update, which kind of changed the way we were able to find new customers if we were advertising on, let's say, Facebook or Instagram. And now it's, been, it's become challenging, more, more expensive. We're not scaling as, as much as we used to be in terms of you know, driving new customer acquisition. So what we've, what we've pivoted to is really becoming more of an omni-channel brand. So yes, direct-to-consumer sales are important for us and growth there is important to us. But retail, specifically a big retail partner like Alta Beauty, has shown to be very, very promising and where a lot of great growth can, can come to. So we've had to make this shift in terms of the team and our focus to make sure that we are covering all channels with great talent and, and, and great expertise. So that's that's been one challenge and change. And knock on wood, we've been able to do a, a good job at, at that that pivot, if you will. Yeah. And I, I think pivoting is is key and how a lot of brands are are going to continue to win in this, you know, quite tumultuous time. There are a lot of changes. And I see a lot of brands um reallocating their marketing budgets and things of that nature, pulling from social and putting it into other channels. So I'm curious, um, do you find retail actually now to be the, the strongest for you or are you just um, just pulling back a little bit on paid social or, or how have you how have it's, you navigated that? It, it's, it's, it's been significant. The shift is significant. It's, not, it's, not, it's still not the biggest, but it's growing significantly. So we're thrilled about, about our performance there and want to continue growing all channels. Again, omni-channel brand, grow all channels, really reach consumers wherever they want to shop, whether it's online or in store. Yeah. I find your background so interesting as well, being being a chemist and then having such a pulse and now stepping into the CEO role. How have you perhaps like approached the CEO CEO role a little bit differently? And and how do you manage to stay on top of of every part of the business? It's it's a it's a great question. I think what what I've done is obviously I have I have strengths coming out of the R D side of the business, but Definitely weaknesses in other places, as we talked about. So really what I'm focusing on now is making sure that we have the team in place that complements my strengths and making sure that we we keep the diversity in specialty and in, in, in background and experience on the team so we can we can we can grow and build the business 
to really take it to the next level. So that's been my focus now in the CEO role is making sure that I am really operating the business with expertise and making sure it's, it's, I collaborate with other key experts in other areas. Yeah. And I think a lot of brands have found it really challenging to hire over the last couple of years. It's been not only crowded in, in the space of what brands offer, but in also talent. So has that been a challenge for you? And then are you still, you know, navigating like residual post COVID um, results? And then, you know, are you still remote and sort of navigating some of those challenges? Yeah, we've we've been remote prior to the prior to COVID, so not much has changed there. And also, you know, the lab has been someplace that we fortunately was an essential business and, and had to stay open. So we were able to use that as kind of a, a meeting ground when we needed to meet. But I think fortunately now, talent, we don't need to necessarily have everyone here. You know, I'm based out of New York City. We don't necessarily have to have talent based here. So it's opened up the idea of having being able to have talent in other parts of the country. So we, we, we've done that and have brought that in. And fortunately, folks in my network have been able to give us and bring some strong talent to the table for us. So Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, you mentioned that you can't really touch too much on expanding into new products and, and new ingredients, which I totally respect. But I'm curious what you think about you know brands who have created just such large product categories versus brands who are a little bit more hyper-focused on core ingredients and a core portfolio of products. Um, what your thought process is in p- potentially creating too many products, but also having enough diversity to to really attract as many customers as you can. What I'm seeing now is I'm seeing that those that are really winning are those that really own a niche. You're most big with a niche product and you become known for that. And then you start to expand from there. It's hard to come in now and, and, and tackle so, so, so many of the big legacy brands in a big category. Like we're going to launch the next moisturizer or the next big cleanser. It's those other kind of more niche niche places that I think smaller indie brands can stand out. So that's what I think is the better opportunity versus trying to do it all and, try, and trying to compete head-to-head with some of the big legacy brands. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And then beyond that, just in the skincare industry in general, it's just, it's such a phenomenal space from the standpoint of you have such a reorderable product with such loyal customer base. Um, do you offer a subscription model and and how do you really make sure there's loyalty amongst your customers? We do. And it's, it's all about the remarketing. That means that once we have a customer, are we emailing him or her, you know, when it's time to refill that, oh, do you know that we also launched a great cleanser or a face peel or mask and letting them know we have new products that they, you know, if they, if they like our vitamin C serum, they'll love our eye cream or they'll love our new peel. So that's kind of how we were working is just making sure we always become top of mind through email. And of course, our organic social and, and, and any press PR we get, we want to remind customers that. We are the go-to. Obviously, our vitamin C is our star. We want to let them know, let them know how great it is and why they need to convert and/or keep coming back for it. Yeah, obviously, those owned channels are really important, and they become more important uh, by the day. I'm curious, influencer marketing for you, you know, with with uh, skincare and it being such a visual product in terms of before and afters. Have you seen a little bit of a decline in the power of influencer marketing, or that's something you guys are still leaning on heavily? We're still leaning on, leaning on that heavily. It's a big, it's a big emphasis for us this year. Really focused on influencers, 
you know, some are paid, some are do it organically. We, we want is we want both. We want more of it. We think that's really key is making sure that we're always top of mind. We're always t- being discovered by by influencers, and not just once, but having those influencers work on on showing us and sharing more information about us on an ongoing basis. And that's what really drives a lot of long-term growth. So it's definitely an emphasis for us, a fungus for us this year. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of influencers, although I, I think she's a lot more than an influencer, you actually um, still advise on other on other brands and you recently helped uh, Haley Bieber develop Road. So I'm really curious what that process looked like, um, what your involvement is and, and how you help other founders start a brand given the fact that you are in the same space. Um, and how you helped her bring her vision for Road to Life. Yeah, so she reached out to me, I guess it was over two years ago now. She had mentioned that she had a concept for a brand and would love my help in learning about ingredients and helping her kind of bring her idea, her concept to life. So that's how it started. You know, flew out, we had several Zooms, flew out, we met, worked together several times and we're still working uh, together as she builds out her, her new, her new launches for this year and next. So the partnership was great. I really, I think she's super strong, super bright and very, very involved and decisive in terms of what she knows and what she doesn't, what, where she needs to rely on others. So super respect. She's fantastic. And and also, she's been a fan of our, of my brand. That's how how she found us. She. I was going to say, how did she find you? Yeah, she I'm sure she had access to anybody. So the fact that she she sought you out is incredible. Yeah, she she she's obviously heard heard of the brand and heard of heard of us and heard of me in, in the press and tried the products and became a fan. And she's publicly supported, you know, our beauty stat products, our vitamin C serum, eye cream, and moisturizer, and, and everything else, and. It's been a, it's been a great partnership. So yes, we are in the same space. We're we're both in skincare. Slightly different customer. She her she's skewing a little younger with Road versus us beauty set. We're a little bit older, but I believe in being able to help and partner with with as many people as we can. I think we can all grow together. We don't we don't have to be competitive or cutthroat. And that's my kind of my perspective on. I'm part of us other entrepreneurs and founders. I I love giving back and helping and and that's I believe that'll come back as well. I completely agree with that. And and I think you're right. I think they are they are different customers, different price point as well. Um, although I think let's talk about price point. Let's touch on that briefly. I the price point obviously isn't inexpensive, but as compared to some of the other competitors in the space, the high end space, it it is quite reasonable. So how do you keep your price point as affordable as possible? How did you approach pricing? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think it's something that we, we always look at. And, and we we understand how much we're putting into our products from a research and development perspective and what the testing that we do. Everything's clinically tested. So there, there there's a cost to that to make sure that we're giving a consumer something that's proven to work. And based on that and based on the technologies, the ingredients we use, you know, we we're at this prestige price point. It's not luxury. It's not it's not Lemaire, but it's not Olay. So that's that's where <laughs> perfect <laughs> perfect analogy. <laughs> right. 
So, so that's that, that's where we, we we fall, and we we feel we're giving a consumer great, great value, high performance products that deliver results. You don't, they don't have to think, they don't have to think about or worry that they're not going to get results. They're going to get it for these set. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, speaking of brands that give you results, you know, you mentioned with the blog, you've tested well over thousands of products. So I'm curious, um, and you can mention any products from your from Beautystat, but what are your top three holy grail products? My top three. Oh my God. Well, I have to have my vitamin C serums. That's for sure. That's from Beautystat. But I, you know, obviously I, I've been responsible with some products I've worked at at Rhodes. So I should I get the lip peptide? I need it. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a lip peptide product. This is the new salted car- caramel flavor. And okay. I, this is like, this is in every bag, every coat pocket, every bag I carry, the gym bag. It comes with me all the time. So that's one of my go tos go tos as well. Okay. I will have to try it. Although every time I go to buy it, it sells out. So, (laughs) so you definitely, you definitely helped her develop the right product for sure. Um, looking back, uh, what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Oh my goodness. So much, I guess, you know, it's interesting. I I actually mentioned this to Haley as well. There's this feeling of trying to be perfect at everything and you just, you can't. There are always, there are always something's going to happen. Mistakes are going to happen with all the good intentions and you just have to let it go. You have to correct. You have to say it's good enough for now and let it go. Fix it, work on fixing it becomes a big issue. But I think that was what I tell myself. I tell myself to do the best, launch and do the best, quickly learn. You make a mistake, quickly learn. Don't make that mistake again. And you correct it. That's yeah. what you're telling yourself. And not sweat and, and develop all this anxiety about it's going to be perfect. It's going to be, and, and, but just nothing is that. Nothing is 100% perfect. And I think I would just, yeah. just go with launching good enough and doing good enough and then learning and evolving. Yeah. And making sure you're actually doing as opposed to halting yourself in this, you know, endless pursuit of perfection that is just probably never going to happen. So. In terms of your your workflow and your work life balance, I'm curious, what's your your best tip or trick for productivity and and really how you manage um, to keep your sanity in your life? Podcasting and walking. So I've I've always been a gym person. I'm a morning person. I do my I do a two hour workout every morning. Wow, that's been part of my thing for for many many well several decades. But I think what I, what's new, and this is post pandemic new is the walking and podcasting. It's something I do once or twice a day. I'll do at least a two to four mile walk. And I'm often podcast, you know, listening to podcasts at the time. So I can't wait to listen to this. this yeah, one. you can listen uh, to this one. <laughs> and that's where I find the time to really get into myself and be able to walk around. I walk around the, the water here. I, mean, I live in the west side of New York City. And I get to walk along the water and get a little bit of nature and get to escape from the day-to-day emails and the hustle and bustle and pressure of growing a business. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a great uh, multitasking time. I think a lot of people are doing that now. So hopefully they're listening to this podcast while they're going for a walk or doing something uh, productive. Um, so looking looking towards this year, you know, we just started a new year, although this episode will launch uh, in the next couple of weeks. But what are what are your top initiatives for the brand for this year and for yourself 
not including uh, letting us know what new new products are on the horizon. Yeah, the goal is just to continue what we, we started in 22 with expansion, adult beauty, and growth and scale there. That's that's the focus. And now we have some new talent that have joined us. I'm just giving them the tools and helping them just help us get to the next level. So that's our focus now is really to is to continue to build, grow, scale. Amazing. Well, I wish you all the best. And thank you so much for joining me in this conversation today. For anyone who wants to find out more information on yourself and Beautystat, where can I direct them? Direct them to at Beautystat on all social channels. And my personal Instagram is, is Ron Robinson, cosmetic chemist. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to leave a review and subscribe to all future episodes. For show notes and resources mentioned, go to glamandgrow.co. This show is produced by Wavebreak. If you're an e-commerce marketing leader who wants to take your email and CRM program to the next level, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call.